In photography, as in life, the results we get are often the result of the decisions we make. Today, I'll share 12 composition decisions that can make the difference in your photos. This is episode 83 of the Shutterbug Life podcast. Welcome to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. If photography is not just something you do, but who you are, this is a place for you. In this podcast, we talk about everything you need to be, do, or have to reach your true potential. Let's celebrate the creative photographer's lifestyle with your host, my dad, Linford Morton. Hey, welcome again to the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This is your weekly photography lifestyle podcast, and we're building a lifestyle around creating great pictures, building an audience, and making an impact with your photos. I'm your host, Linford Morton. Of course, you can call me Lynn. And today's episode really wraps up a week of photography challenges. If you've been following my Facebook Live daily show, F2, and if you've been following along this week, you know I've been sharing composition challenges, and not just regular composition challenges, challenges that you can use to make ordinary subjects look interesting. And Monday through Friday, I shared a different challenge, and like a challenge, like you would in a typical challenge, I ask you to share them in the comments on Facebook. So, if you did, and if you followed along, what you might have picked up was that most of the techniques in these challenges really boil down to decision-making. Today, I want to dig a little deeper into the decisions we can make in every photograph that will impact our photography. But before I do, here's a little reminder about the New York City Weekend Workshop. Hi, this is Lynn from ShutterbugLife.com. I am in Herald Square right now in Manhattan in the middle of New York City, and this is where we'll be kicking off our three-day photography workshop, Fall Photography in the Big Apple. Now, this is gonna be a very cool three-day workshop because we're going to see a lot of New York City. We're going to get to learn and do a lot of photography um, workshops and principles along the way. We're going to be in uh, just across the city in general because we will be down in Brooklyn. We will be in Chinatown. We will be in Central Park. We will be in the lower Manhattan Financial District. We will be in Midtown Manhattan. We'll go uptown to Harlem. And throughout all of this, you will learn architectural photography. We'll do black and white photography. We'll do the fall colors for um, another lesson. We will uh, do street photography. And, of course, we will do long exposure and night photography. Now, throughout this time, you will have two photo instructors always nearby and always ready to help you. I'll be there and my partner in Christ, Steve Rosenbach, who has the encyclopedia-like knowledge of every photogenic place in New York City, I swear. But 
we'll both be always nearby to help you. Now, here's the cool thing. At the end of the three days, we will do a half-day session where you can download your images, show us your best, or the ones that challenge you and get feedback on all your images. You get all that over the course of three days. It will be October 27 to 30. And if you want more information, just go to shutabovelife.com forward slash NYC. I'm pretty sure there's a link below. If, if, if I know my tendencies, you should have a link below and it'll take you right there and you can see um, learn more about it and if you have more questions we'll be happy to answer them but it will be three days uh, in New York City um, seeing so much and learning it's gonna be a fun time I'd love for you to come on out and join us when I ambled onto the tidal basin that one day in fall I faced what many photographers confront every day. This was a view that millions of people would recognize immediately. And now I have the challenge of what can I do here to make a photo look interesting? Now, in photography as in life, the results we get are often a result of the decisions we make. At the Tidal Basin, or, or wherever you happen to be shooting this weekend or this season, or whenever it is, your decisions will make the difference. We started talking about this on our composition challenges this week, but let's let's just let's just dig into twelve of the decisions you will make, the composition decisions you will make that can help improve your odds of capturing more interesting photos. So number one where you stand, probably one of the more important decisions in photography, where you decide to stand before you, de before you begin your photograph makes a world of difference between a snapshot, a photograph, and a masterpiece, okay? Now, I know because I spent so much time around the Lincoln Memorial when I was doing my my photography workshops. And so you, 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 you hang around there and you see enough people walking up and photographing it. After all, it's the seventh most photographed place on the planet, according to researchers at Cornell University. So I'm standing there and I'm watching people walk up and shoot. And uh, your tourists, and uh, this is in no way meant to disparage tourists, but Let's face it, they're not photographers, right? So tourists walk up and uh, they stop right in front of it. They hoist their cameras. They point it at old Lincoln and they snap away. But you'll always know a photographer because a photographer will move left and then right. And you see your photographer looking until she finds the best shot. Your photographer will go down on one knee and look up high or, or you know, can I get a little uh, a different vantage point? Can I stand on this thing and see how that looks? This is what your photographer is thinking because in almost every photograph where you stand makes the, just a huge difference. And with composition, the difference between a boring picture and one that's not so boring will be where you decide to stand. So... You know my phrase, the one that you know, we coined with my 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 teenage photo campers this this past summer, 
The first place is the worst place, meaning the first place you decide to stop when you look at something is usually going to be the worst place to photograph it as a photographer, of course. And, and that's because you, the tourist, tourster, you, the observer, stands and looks at something wherever you happen to be. But your camera doesn't see the same way you do. So when it's time for you to take a photograph, the place where you, the observer, stopped is usually going to be the least interesting place for you, the photographer, to take the photograph. So in number one, don't stop and don't just shoot the picture wherever you stop when you stop in front of something interesting. Move around a little to the left, a little to the right. Can you get down low? Can you... Can you stand on something? Because that is the first and one of the more important decisions you can make. The second decision you can make is where you place the camera. Just because you stop now in a place that you find interesting doesn't mean you hold the camera. You just put the camera against your eye and shoot. As I said before, the great photographers are going to get down low and they're going to put the camera um, in different positions. the posi- uh, What you're looking for is a position that's not going to be what we call eye level, which is somewhere between five to six feet from most of us. And because that's the, sh- that's the location, that's the site, that's the viewpoint that most people who visit a place like the Tidal Basin or the Lincoln Memorial, wherever it happens to be, where, wherever you are, that's what everyone sees and remembers. And so one of the challenges this week was to look for extreme angles, meaning put the camera onto the ground is one of the things I suggested on that challenge. Because when you do that, you're getting the camera, you're placing the camera in a position that's going to be very different from what most people see and remember. So using the extreme angle was just a way of placing the camera in a place or in a in in a way that gets you more interesting shots. So the second decision you make is where you place the camera. It doesn't have to be an extreme angle, but it does have to be something that is going to be a little more interesting in most cases than eye level. So if you come back from a shoot and you notice that all your pictures are at eye level, then you know the work you have to do when you go back out next time is get the camera out of eye level where you place the camera. Decision number two will impact your photography. Decision number three, what lens you choose. Now, you know, we could spend a lot of time talking about lenses and Lord knows we spend a lot of money buying lenses. But the lens choice makes such a a difference when you start thinking about composition. How much of this scene do you want to capture? So, of course, you know that a wide angle captures a field of view going from left to right that is wide. It captures a lot. And it, it what it, it does is it has this effect where the things that are closest to you look sometimes closer than normal. And the things that are farther away from you look abnormally far away. So it stretches the scene in, in a way, which is why when we I talked about in one of those, those uh, when we talked about shooting with your 
your camera phone, because the camera phone is at a wide angle, you have to be, go out of your way to get closer to most subjects because it looks further away than it would to your normal eye. So your wide angle stretches, so things that are far away look further away than they do to the natural eye. And it also gives you a wider view left to right, so you have more peripheral vision. Wide angles, usually usually most cameras is when you're uh, somewhere between 12, 18, 24 millimeters. When you're around the 50 range, or if you're using a crop sensor, maybe 35-ish, when you're using that, that's closer to reproducing what your normal eye sees. And if you're using a larger number than that, let's say 60, 70 millimeters and and higher, and, and uh, the number is higher, or the lens is longer, now you're bringing something that's far away in closer to you, and the effect you have now is to begin to flatten everything. Remember, wide angle stretched it, your, your telephoto or the longer lens will begin to flatten it. So something that's 20 feet behind your subject will look like it's right next to them. So when you're composing, these are considerations that you'll want to take right? Um, do I want to flatten everything and make it look compressed? Do I want to stretch it? Do I want to show a wider view? Do I want to have a, a more narrow view and really isolate one of the details? Do I want to reach and find something far away and bring it close and have a more intimate view or viewpoint on it? So these are the decisions you'll make. And this is um, decision number three. What lens will you choose? Number four, where will you place the frame? And this now, we talked about this briefly uh, in one of our challenges. Because when we walk around with our camera, we have the big, beautiful world in front of us. One of the first things you'll get to decide is where you place the frame. You get to place a frame around whatever you see and exclude everything else and begin the process now of subtraction, right? You guys remember that? You remember subtraction? But you begin subtraction by, and if you don't remember subtraction, go back and, and check out the challenges. They'll be in the show notes. I think that's from Thursday of that week, of the week. But where you place the frame begins the process of subtraction. Where will I place the frame? And uh, of all the things I see there, how will I begin now to capture it? Number five is where you place the subject. So now that you have the frame, you've got to you have to now decide within that frame what's going to be most important and where will I place it to really accentuate that. Because inside that frame, you know, and, and again, I haven't even talked about picking the subject because, I, you know, I'm, I'm assuming we know this. But, but let's, let's just touch on it for a second. Within that frame, you've got to decide what is most important. And that's probably how you decide where you place the frame. You see a subject and you decide to place the frame around it. Then you decide then you decide what's going to be most important in that frame and how do I make it stand out unmistakably as most important. And, and all of that then comes with where we place the subject in the frame. There's this concept called nose room. If a subject is looking 
from left to right, you want to have more space on the right side because when your viewer sees them looking in that direction, their eyes follow in the direction that they're looking. You can place your subject, if you remember the rule of thirds, on any one of the points if you have a tic, an imaginary tic-tac-toe grid where those lines cross are the points where you want to place the subject. But which one of those points will you use? Because they make a difference. The top ones make a difference than the bottom ones. The left will give you a very different impact than the one on the right. If the subject is looking to the right, you want to put them on the left. Or if you put them on the right, you want to be a little contrarian, have a different impact. Then, then these are decisions that you can make. Where you place the subject is decision number five. Decision number six is what you leave in the background. Because once you decide what that subject is, remember that? You have to decide that how you will now make everything lead your eye there and complement it. And then you have to decide how to get rid of things that are not complementary. This is what subtraction is about. Removing things that don't contribute to or complement or tell the story. And often the place where you find these offenders is in the background. And so I talked about this on one of the very first um, F2 um, Facebook Live shows. I gave you four ways of, of getting rid of the back of distractions in your background. And you can go back and look at that if you want more, if you want a little more detail there. But the things in the background make or break they can either make you go, wow, what a great portrait of Sylvia. Or they could go, that's a cool picture of Sylvia. What's that behind her? And of course, you don't want the the second reaction because you want all eyes on your subject for the most impact. So what you leave in the background is the sixth decision. And this is a very important decision because it's, it's one of the easiest to overlook. Because once you lock your eyes in on your subject and your brain blocks everything else out, that will be all you see. And then when your camera collapses everything in from your 3D world into a 2D image, all those things in the background that you did not pay attention to suddenly become a lot more prominent. And if you don't pay attention to them, you'll spend your time in Photoshop trying to get rid of them when you, when really all you can do, which a lot of times you can get rid of them just by making a simple step a half a foot to the left or a half a foot to the right or moving the camera down just a little bit or up just a little bit. Remember where you place your camera, where you stand, you can go back now and revisit those decisions to help you clean up your background. That's decision number six. Decision number seven is, did you fill the frame? You know, the, the often cited quote that if your pictures aren't good enough, you aren't close enough. You got to get in there and fill the frame. You have to give your subject, in most cases, enough real estate so that anyone who looks at the image goes, ah, that's what I should be looking at. Because if you're not doing that, then there's got to be some other tool that you're employing to make that subject stand out. But the easiest way to make it stand out is to get in close and fill the frame. Often the difference between uh, an okay photograph and one when there's more impact is the photographer just didn't get close enough or zoom in enough or just didn't fill the frame. 
if your subject is so far away that I have to squint to see him or her or it or whatever it is, then your work is not complete. Get in there and fill the frame. Fill the frame. Get closer. Zoom with your feet. Get in and get closer. This is often the difference when you're at an event. When you see photographers and people who are snap shooting, the snap shooters are always stepping back. And the photographers are always going in and getting closer. Getting close, fill the frame. Remember, number decision number one, where you stand makes an impact. What's your viewpoint is decision number eight. So you get in there, but when you decide where you put the camera up, down, close, left, right, a lot of it is informed by the viewpoint you want your viewer to have. Now, you all know that when you're photographing a person, you try to stay close to eye level because that creates a more intimate view between your viewer and your subject. They feel like they're looking right at them and talking with them. When you're photographing children or pets or people who are much short, smaller than than you are, then you want to get down again on eye level because that creates a uh, a more Im, more impact because you have a more again intimate relationship between your viewer and your subject. You know your viewpoint also can uh, you can use the same technique to say something else. You know whenever you see people when you see hero shots of. Uh, you know, Superman or or wherever the hero is, or if you are doing what's called, uh, I like to call them captain of industry shots. When I was a PR guy, if we we're photographing someone who is a CEO or a, or a leader of some kind, you want to make them look extra powerful, you might lower the camera just a little bit below eye level and look up at them. And that can make them just look and feel a little more powerful. And of course, the opposite is if you go much higher and look down, you create a more subordinate view of your subject. So these are things you want to consider. What's the viewpoint you want to create? And number nine, how do you create depth? So we I talked about this just a bit, but when you are walking around and you're living in this 3D world, and you snap the your image, you now flatten everything into a two-dimensional image. And to keep for it from looking as flat, you want to make some decisions that reintroduce the perception of depth. And one of the easiest ways to do this is to move a little to the left or to the right. You know when you are photographing a building or, or any flat object, you try and move at least to a 45-degree angle away from the subject so that you are shooting at an angle and not directly onto any flat subject. Because a flat subject that is already flat and looking 2D will look even more flat and boring if you just stand right in front of it and point your camera at it. So you're going to stand on an angle. And when you're photographing a building, of course, that lets you see two sides of the building that creates your, your sense of depth. If you're shooting something flat, like a graffiti wall, standing on an angle and shooting across it lets it move away from you, and that creates a perception of depth, which you can also couple with a shallow depth of field, and that will also help focus the eye some more.
So that's another decision you can make. Now, how you show scale in comparison is another decision you can make. And and this is important when you're photographing something that's not so popular that people all know what it is. So, for instance, when we are in on our photo tour and we come to this Einstein monument, this is one where I say you might want to include something else in the photo to give your viewer a sense of, of, of perspective. I don't know how big something is until I see something else I recognize next to it. I remember when my oldest son lost one of his his teeth when he was when he was young and he was losing his baby teeth. We pulled one of them out and I pulled it out and it came with a really long root. I thought, oh my God, this is one of the longest roots on a on a tooth that's come out that I've ever seen. So I snapped a picture to send to my parents to let them see how long it was. But then they were like, I don't get it. So then I put it next to a quarter and then the tooth wraps all the way around the quarter. And now when I send them the next picture to them, they were like, oh my goodness, that's huge. But they don't know that because they didn't have in the first image a sense of scale. And now that they have a now that I included a quarter, we all know how big in the United States a quarter is. And so now they have a reference point. So think about that. If you're photographing something and it's not a, the kind of subject that everybody knows how big it is, the Eiffel Tower or the the Empire State Building, we all know those are huge or big subjects. But if we don't, then putting something else we recognize next to it helps us to get a sense of scale and comparison. Decision number 11, where do you place the horizon line? The horizon line is important because we know that uh, we don't want to have a dead center. The rule of thirds tells us that the least interesting place to put your horizon is going to be dead center. So you're going to either put it in the lower third or the upper third. Now, which third you place it depends on what you want to emphasize. If you put it in the upper third, and there's no reason why you can't or shouldn't put a horizon in the upper third, let's say you're doing landscape, all you do then is really emphasize the foreground, everything that's on the ground. And usually I'll make that kind of decision if there is not much going on in the sky, no clouds, no no anything, just, you know, flat blue. And because there's nothing happening there, it's kind of boring. So we, we raise the horizon to the, the top third and... Uh, then emphasize the foreground. Now, of course, the opposite is if it's a a moody day with clouds and ominous clouds, it looks like it's going to storm or rain. I might lower that horizon line to the lower third and really let the, the, the sky features tell that story. When you're indoors, the horizon line is the line where the floor and ceiling meet. And even if you don't see the floor and ceiling meeting, we sort of know where that is. And so you can do the same thing if you're shooting interiors. You can, again, raise that line where the floor and ceiling meet and really focus and emphasize the foreground, what's going on 
in the room or you can bring it down. For instance, if you're in a cathedral and you really want to show the grandeur of the ceilings and the and the windows and things of that nature. So where you place the horizon line is the 11th decision. Number 12 is cropping. Now, just because you've pressed the shutter doesn't mean your composition work is done. When you export and you're looking at that image, you then have another opportunity to go in and reframe everything you've done. You can then have the opportunity to take what was a a horizontal image and crop it to make it portrait. There's no reason to leave it in horizontal. If when you look at it on the big screen, you go, boy, if I go portrait, I can really get in much tighter and really focus the eyes of my viewer onto my subject much more effectively. You you can say to yourself, this might look interesting as a square format or a five by seven or a 16 by nine in terms of, uh, of now how you decide to crop it and, uh, you know, 16 by nine is the, the it makes it look or like a HD um, movie. So these are different things you can play around with. Or if you don't want to go with any of the, the set, um, um, the, the set cropping options, you can usually in most, most of your software editing applications go with a free cropping. And sometimes I'll do that as well. So if, if, especially if there's, I, I want to make sure I include items in the frame that any of the set cropping options won't allow me to include everything I want to include. Because at the end of the day, I want to make sure I'm going to include just enough to tell the story and all the things I need to tell the story, but nothing extra. So think about cropping and think about cropping creatively with your photograph after you've exported it. There are very few images that come right out of the camera that can't be improved with some extra cropping. I heard Art Silverglate say that. Um, you know, I remember I interviewed Art on uh, an earlier episode of we, where we talked about uh, your software options, and Art used to say, Art says this in his Baltimore meetup group. There are very few images that you can't improve with some cropping. And boy, that's so true. Very rarely will I take an image out of camera and and move it to publication without playing around with cropping in some way. Because rarely will everything that ended up in the frame need to be in the final photograph. So think about your cropping, both in terms of really subtracting so that you only include what you need to, and then being creative in making more impact. So these are the 12 decisions you can make. And by by no means are these the only 12 decisions you will make when, with photography, because there's so many other decisions you can make. And, you know, we'll get around to some of them. But remember, where you stand is number one, where you place the camera is number two, what lens you choose is number three, where you place the frame is number four, where you place the subject is number five, where you leave, what you leave in the background is number six. 
Do you fill the frame or did you fill the frame? That's number seven. What's your viewpoint? How do you use that to say something? That's number eight. Number nine is how do you create or recreate the sense of depth? Number 10 is how do you show scale and comparison? And number 11 is where do you place the horizon line? And number 12 is have you cropped creatively to make um, more of an impact with your photograph? So these are 12 decisions, 12 composition decisions. And if you, on every photograph, you try and make one, two, three, as many of these as you can before you shoot, you will find out that it makes a world of difference in a photograph that is eh to one that is wow and impactful. Think before you shoot. Remember, there are two things you're going to do before you shoot. You're going to stop and go, what do I see here? And then the second thing is going to be, what do I want to create? And once you decide what you want to create, all these decisions will help you make that much more impactful. All right. Thank you again for sticking through another episode of the Shutterbug Life podcast, episode 83. And I hope that was helpful for you thinking about these decisions. Now, here's something else I know. This is an, an, an audio podcast, and I'm talking about a visual topic. But I'm thinking if we think of, if we frame it in terms of decision making, it should help you at least go out and begin that process of of seeing for yourself how you'll interpret this. Now, if you need more help, I am working on a a composition a composition intensive online training project. And this is going to take you through not just these 12 decisions, but everything from A to Z, this is why I call it intensive, that you'll need to know and practice and use to to really begin to really take your photography up a notch and up two or three notches to get it to the next level. And and because I want to make this more visual, I'm going to record a series of videos where I go out and actually do it myself. And and we're going to take a camera along and you're going to see me go out and make these decisions. And you'll see how the images actually change with each decision I make. And so you'll see me go out and demonstrate key composition principles as we talk about them. And then at the end, you'll have exercises that you can practice yourself. And then after that, you'll keep learning because the the intensive will also have another series of composition challenges that you can also work. And after you've gone through all of all of the lessons, this will also help you reinforce your learning. Now, beyond that, we will also have an an inspiration module where we'll look at a ton of images that just have really, really, really done where the photographer really has used composition effectively. And we'll talk about what works in these images because I also want to leave you with a bit of inspiration beyond what we create and what I create together. Let's look at more images because one of the ways we get better 
is by looking at more images. And so we're going to do all of this, and this will launch on October 31st for just $99. But if you stick with me, I'll tell you how you can get it at a much bigger savings. Now, this will be this this training will consist of five modules. Composition 101, we'll talk about the three core principles you'll need to know for every photograph you take. And again, we'll go through them and we'll, we'll, we'll um, demonstrate them and you'll see how they work. Composition 201, we'll go back and talk about some of the decisions, critical decisions you will need to make. And again, these will... These will come with demonstrations, so you will see how they work. You'll see them in action. Number th composition 301, we'll, we'll talk about learning to see creatively. So we'll, we'll go through how you can now use composition to make your images more creative. And there are a number of really advanced composition principles that you can use to make that happen. And then Composition 401 will be 10 composition challenges you can work on to help you begin to make this much more innate to your photography process. And then the fifth module, again, will be inspiration, examples of great composition at work, and not just that, but why they work. And I'm hoping this inspiration will also give you the opportunity to begin to think differently about your photography and, more importantly, your composition. Remember, the composition is the one thing that your camera cannot and will not do for you. You've got to make these decisions yourself if you want to see them reflected in your pictures. So... It's going to be October 31st is when I when I launch it, and it will be 99 But if you want to pre-order, unlike your camera manufacturers who just ask you to pre-order and tie up your money, if you pre-order here, you will get savings. So this weekend, if, if you pre-order, then you will get you will get to purchase this $99 product for just $29, just $29. And then after that, it increases with each week. This is the pre-launch weekend. If you purchase this weekend, you can purchase this $99 product. And when it launches, you will get it, but you can pick it up by ordering it this weekend only for $29. In the next week, which is October 3 through October 9, if you purchase during that week, it will be $39. The October 10 through October 16, if you wait until then, it will be $49. If you wait until the week of October 17 through 23, it will be $59. And then after that, you'll have to wait until launch and buy it for $99. And again, this will have a lot of good information. And so... Uh, I think this will be a really helpful resource for you if you really care about your composition and want to improve it. That's it for another episode of the Shutterbug Life Podcast. This was episode number 83. And remember, we do this weekly. And you can join us and make sure that you don't miss another episode by subscribing at shutterbuglife.com forward slash subscribe. If you know someone else who is uh, who is a photographer and uh, you can uh, 
learn with us, of course, please feel free to share it with them. In between the episodes, you can follow along, share what you are doing. We want to see your pictures too. And you can do that in our Facebook group. Just go to fb.shutabuglife.com. If you want to learn with us, a group of friendly photographers, then you go to shutabuglife.com and uh, Go to the photo tour section. You'll see that we have opportunities in New York City, in New Orleans, and of course in Washington, D.C. Thank you so much for being a part of our group. I know many of you were out shooting this weekend. And while you're out shooting, remember to think composition and to think decision making. And wherever you go, whatever you do, enjoy your shuttlebug life. Take care.